Okay, we've been going through the Old Testament. We're up to 2 Kings, and we'll be, Lord willing, getting into chapter 2 here. So 2 Kings chapter 2. I had another little bout with a kidney stone this week, so uh, giving some of the guys a heads up that if I get too Pentecostal, it means the pain's coming back, and they're supposed to come and relieve me and finish with the devotion there, so... <laughs> Especially if I get slain in the spirit and they know something's wrong there. So, All right, we're in Second uh, Kings chapter 2. And the Lord's been going back and forth as we've been going through the first kings and now starting in the second kings. He's been going back and forth between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And he's been showing us the kings from both locations. But in our passage today... Uh, the Lord takes a break from that, and he focuses in on some of his prophets. So we'll get to see some lessons on doing ministry for the Lord in our passage here. And also it gives us insight of how the Lord is trying to reach his people uh, through these, these special prophets that he's been preparing. So in 2 Kings chapter 2, let's jump into verse 1. It says, And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. So we see Elijah here, he's kind of the seasoned prophet, and he's had Elisha here with him. Uh, he's been his servant, and he's been kind of his disciple in training. And we find here that the Lord was getting ready to bring Elisha to heaven, but God wasn't going to bring him home the usual way by death. Uh, we're told here that he had a special plan for taking Elijah away from the earth. The Lord was going to use a whirlwind somehow to do this. And uh, we're not given every single detail, but the Lord does give kind of a heads up here that that was coming. So this is going to be a supernatural thing that the Lord was going to do. And although this is way out of the norm, you know, of how people usually die first before they, they end up leaving this world, uh, the Lord's not going to do that with Elijah here. And if you know the story, you're familiar with it, you see that. So think about this, you know, although it's way out of the norm, it's not what you'd expect or not what you would think uh, would, take, would take place there. The Lord can do whatever he wants to do, right? <laughs> he doesn't need to ask anybody's permission before he changes things up or, you know, before he even does something that looks rather wild or strange to us. He doesn't have to ask if we're okay with that, you know. Like somebody said, he is God, and God can do whatever God wants to do. That's kind of the definition for God, <laughs> you know. Uh, it, we have to remind ourselves of that, because in our country, we like to think that we're in charge, you know. So these are good, humbling passages when we see things like this. And after we get to know the Lord, uh, we begin to realize the Lord always has a reason for the things that he does, you know, but we also have to realize that he's not obligated to share every reason with us. You know, I suspect sometimes he doesn't tell us why uh, in some things because we couldn't understand it anyway. I know in Isaiah 55, the Lord tells us this, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So if we understand that, when the Lord has to tell us things and explain things to us, it's like he has to bring them down 
to a very simple level for us or we can't get it. <laughs> you know, if the Lord's ways are so much higher than ours, when we do get something from the Lord, from his perspective, it must be he really made it simple for us, you know? And yeah, that's rather humbling. So I think we'd be better off sometimes just saying, Lord, I don't understand why you're doing things this way, but I'm just going to trust you because you know a whole lot more than I do. And, and just leave it in the Lord's hands. So if the Lord here, if he wants to bring Elijah home to heaven by some unique and unheard of circumstance, then praise the Lord and just say, amen, Lord, and leave it at that. <laughs> you know, the Lord can do what he wants to do. So Elijah here, we're gonna see in our passage, he's gonna be traveling with Elisha. And he's been, Elisha here, he's been a servant for Elijah for about 10 years at this point. So they've been together for a while. We don't have every single detail laid out for us about what went on in those 10 years, but uh, from putting the timeline together, we can see they know each other. You know, this isn't a, a stranger and a stranger here. They've been working together. So Elijah's been training him as a prophet, and there's no better way to train someone than to spend time with them. If you read the Gospels carefully, you'll see how many times the disciples are said to be with Jesus. Interesting little phrase if you start looking for that. So this is the main way that Jesus trained them. And you know, the same thing goes for us. If we want to be an effective disciple, then we're going to have to spend time with Jesus too. That means staying in his word, listening when he points things out to us there, and spending time in communication with Jesus, meaning prayer, talking to him, you know. I thought of this, uh, when I think about prayer like this, I remember this evangelist, I think we've talked about this before, but this guy was a traveling evangelist in our country years and years and years ago, back in horseback and everything, and he came to one family, and they had him in for, for Sunday dinner, I think it was, after the meeting and all, and the lady had told him, she had, he had been there before he knew the family, and she said, I'm sorry, I, I didn't get to make the dumplings for the meal today, and they asked him to say the prayer, and this guy was known for just talking to the Lord. I mean, he had a beautiful prayer life. It was in constant communication, and it was pretty evident when you heard him pray. So he prays before the meal, and he says, Lord, uh, we thank you for the food, and we ask you to bless it, and you know, Lord, it had been better if them dumplings would have been here too, but, you know, just praise the Lord and go on. And that was just his openness with the Lord, you know. So, uh, yeah, we're supposed to keep in constant communication with the Lord, you know. It isn't something that we have to make a holy thing for our Sunday morning. The Lord always wants to hear from us. He's always open to hear from us. Now, we're going to see something, too, about Elijah's character in this passage. He already knows that the Lord's going to take him to heaven on this very day. And we'll see as we get further in that it was, it was a known thing. The Lord had revealed that to his prophets. And I think the temptation would be, at least for me, you know, to say that, well, I'm not going to do anything if I know God's going to take me home then. I'm just going to sit here and wait for my bus or my train or whatever he's sending for me, you know. But not Elijah. Nope. He's going to stay busy doing the Lord's work until the very moment when the Lord brings him home with this whirlwind. And, and not just staying busy, but Elijah's being very obedient to the Lord in the process. You know, he didn't pull out his bucket list and say, I gotta do all this stuff before I'm gone from this world. He's following the Lord's direction, and we'll see that as we get here too. So he's not deciding what he wants to do, 
you know, with his remaining time on earth. But he's following the Lord's directions to the T, we're going to see in our passage here. And that's convicting, and it's encouraging, and it's inspiring all at the same time. You know, what would you do if you knew the Lord was bringing you home today? You know, I would hope that we would try to follow Elijah's example here. Uh, We might be thinking, man, I'm tired, and I just want to rest, you know, until Jesus shows up. But the Lord encourages us to push ourselves to keep going until we can't go anymore because our feet are no longer touching the ground because Jesus is pulling us upwards, (laughs) you know. And and that, that takes some strength from the Lord to be able to do that. So I think we see that in Elijah's life and his character here. Go on to verse two. It says, then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. So notice he's getting directions from the Lord. He's supposed to move to another location. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. So we see here the beginning of some tests that Elijah is putting Elisha through, and obviously it's the Lord working through Elijah doing this. And they're kind of like tests concerning faithfulness. Are you going to hang in there even when I give you an option to take that's really the easier way out of things? I mean, he tells him, you, you can stay here. I've got to go on. The Lord told me to go on. But you, please, you just stay right here. <laughs> but easier to say, man, I'm so tired of walking and traveling anyway. This is great. I'm going to just rest. But he didn't do that. He says, nope, wherever you go, I'm going. I'm going to follow you along. And I think these are, are very important tests as we see them in our passage today. It had been easier for Elisha to just stay put and not have to do so much traveling. That would have been the easier way out for him. But he says very firmly that I'm going to stay with and I'm going to follow you, Elijah, no matter where you go. So again, we, we ask, you know, how do we measure up to this test? Are we willing to go wherever the Lord tells us to go? And whenever the Lord says to go, you know, I know some Christians who have said no to that question. When the Lord has called them to do things, they've said, no, I I don't want to do that. And are we willing to do whatever the Lord tells us, even though it might be the harder way to go? You know, this is where our faith really gets tested. So you see, the real question I think here is, do we trust the Lord enough to go wherever he tells us and to do whatever he tells us? even if it costs us dearly or if it costs us everything? I think that's the real question. Do we trust the Lord enough? Because I've talked to some of the folks who said, no, I'm afraid if I, if I really gave myself completely to the Lord, he might call me to do something I don't want to do or go somewhere I don't want to go, so I kind of hold that back and say, Lord, I love you, I'll follow you, but don't, don't ask too much because I'm not going too far, you know? <clears throat> I think it really comes down to that, do you trust the Lord enough? Of course, the wisest answer would be, whatever you say, Lord, you know, because I know you always know what's best, and you always do things in my life out of love for me. You're not trying to torture me. You're not trying to punish me. You're, you're doing things out of love. You know what I need and what's best. And we understand this as parents. You know, sometimes we've got to push our kids beyond where they're comfortable and things they may not want to do, but we know it's best for them that they get stretched that way. So the Lord is doing the same thing with us. So it's better to say, yes, Lord, whatever you say, not my will, but your will be done in my life, all right? 
And notice something here too. Elijah said, the Lord has sent me. So Elijah's going to Bethel out of obedience to the Lord. And he doesn't tell Elisha that God has commanded him to go as well. Kind of interesting. So if Elisha goes too, you know, it's because of his own choice. He wasn't commanded or he wasn't forced by the Lord to go. And the Lord does, you know, sometimes he commands us, like he says, follow me. That's a command from the Lord. But the choice is still there for us, whether we're going to follow him or not. It comes down to our choice. And the Lord likes it a whole lot better when we're willing to follow him out of love. Not because we're being forced to do it, you know. And, and we can understand that. We'd appreciate it more, too, if people did things for us because they genuinely care about us, rather than because they felt that they had to, you know. Verse 3 goes on. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel, so we see that the Lord had prophets there and they were in training. And it says there were a group of them here at Bethel. They came out to Elisha. And they, they noticed they went to him. They didn't go to Elijah. They're, they're talking to Elisha. The, the testing is pointing at him, you find in the passage here. So they have a, a question for him. They said, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. <laughs> I see this as another test from the Lord himself this time. I mean, very clearly. Here are these prophets who have heard from the Lord. And they're bringing this news right up to Elisha. And they're saying, basically, did you know about this? And if so, then what are you going to do about it? I mean, would they just be telling him, hey, did you know this? I think there's more to it. You know, they're wanting to see what are you going to do. I don't think they just wanted to see his reaction. But Elisha admit, admits here that he already was aware of it, but he doesn't want to talk about it. And we're not told why. Uh, we don't know if it's because it brought great sadness on him to think that Elisha, whom he's loving and serving, is going to be taken away this very day. He's going to lose his master, his teacher. Don't know if that's the, the, the deal that's going on or if he just doesn't want to take the time to discuss it with these guys for whatever reason. Maybe he thinks, you guys want to talk and i got to go. I don't have time for this. So for whatever reason, just says conversation's done, it's over. So you look at Elisha on this too. Look at his, uh, Elisha himself. He knows this is his last day to be a servant to Elijah. So he could have said, hey, I'm going to take a vacation day. You know, I've got some time saved up. I need to burn some of it anyway, so I'm out of here. I'll catch you on the other side. Right, we're both going to the same place. I'll see you later, right? But no, Elijah, Elisha here, he sticks around to get every last drop of training that he can from Elijah. And again, that's very smart. That's the wisest thing to do. We need all the training we can get and then some, you know. We find out that very quickly when we start to minister to people, I need to get everything I can from the Lord, from God's servants who've been here before me. I need to get that. I remember a situation I ran into when I first started out as a pastor in a small church when I was still in Bible college, fortunately, so I had some very experienced pastors and teachers I had access to, you know. So here I was at church one night, and somebody uh, there while I was pastoring, they gave me an ultimatum. And I needed to make, they said, you need to make this change at church or, or we're going to leave. And as a kind of a brand new pastor there, I'm like, oh my goodness, because I knew if I made this change that they wanted, it was going to affect a lot of other people that are in the church. Now I got these folks saying, we're going to leave if you don't 
take care of this the way we want it done. So I thought I was in a real pickle. I didn't know, you know, what, which way to go. I didn't want to make a mistake here just starting out in ministry. I'm thinking, I don't want to blow something up right here. That's, that'd be horrible. So I took my problem to a very seasoned teacher that I had at the Bible college. He'd been a pastor for years. And he said, you young guys, huh? <laughs> you know, that I didn't know how to handle this. He said, you don't put up with ultimatums like that because people are just trying to manipulate you. And he said, you need to turn their ultimatum around and put the ball back in their court. So he told me how to do that. Now let's go on with the rest of our passage here. Oh, you want to know the answer of what he told me? Yeah. <laughs> he said, if someone is trying to use leaving the church as a threat to manipulate, then you just say to them, well, if that's the way the Lord is leading you, then you probably need to follow the Lord's lead on that. Whoa, I tell you what, I did that, and boy, did that diffuse the situation. Those folks uh, changed their tune, and they said, well, well, Pastor, uh, you just do whatever you think is best. <laughs> and they stated the church, they had a more humble attitude after that. So we need all the help and the training we can get when we're going to be serving the Lord and, and serving people. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know yet, and we're, we're learning as we can and, and appreciate all the help God's provided. So I really appreciate seeing Elisha here sticking it out to the very end of Elijah's ministry. He's going to glean every ounce of wisdom and guidance that he could muster out of him. And I think that's really, really smart. Uh, verse 4 goes on. Uh, and, and, you know, at the, I missed the end of verse 3 there. As he said, uh, he said, I know about this. Keep silent. He doesn't want to go any further. Then Elisha said to him, Elisha, stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. So another test here. And you notice the testing just continues. And you know, that's because ministry is tough. We, we really have to dig in if we want to do ministry right. I mean, look how many sacrifices Jesus made to do his earthly ministry. He gave up sleep. He ministered late into the night. He missed meals. He even said at times he had no place to lay his head. And he was so tired, you know, he even slept in a boat that was being tossed about by a storm. I mean, how, hard, how tired do you have to be to be able to sleep in a situation like that? He put up with being falsely accused and slandered. He allowed himself to be physically beaten for crimes he did not commit. And he even died a criminal's death without complaining, even though he was perfectly innocent. So when you and I are tested by the Lord, don't think he's overdoing it, <laughs> you know. He knows exactly how much testing we need to toughen us up and to pre prepare us to do ministry for people. And I know at times it hurts sometimes. The Lord really puts his finger on something like, oh, Lord, don't touch that spot. That spot is sore. And the Lord's like, I know, we got to heal this, though. we got to get past this. So the Lord's going to do what it takes. And it's not comfortable. There are times that you're like, oh, Lord, can't we just stop here? And Lord's saying, not if you want to serve me. <laughs> we got to go further. And you see some of the servants of the Lord in the, the scriptures, how far the Lord took them. Think of Joseph sitting in prison day after day after day. 
not knowing. God's training you. He's preparing you. You got a huge job ahead of you, man. So you just got to hang in there, you know. And he didn't have the scripture to turn to like us. He didn't carry his little pocket Bible with him and say, I'm just going to read some more scripture. He didn't have that, that luxury. So verse 5 now goes on. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho, they came to Elisha. Notice the Lord's got these prophets all over the place. Interesting, huh? And this is in a land where a lot of people had turned against the Lord. They're worshiping idols all over the place like crazy. And the Lord's still got prophets there to try to minister to them, try to get their attention, try to reach them. That's our God. So the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha. Notice they didn't go to Elijah. They went to Elisha here. He's the one that's under the testing gun. And they said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? <laughs> so he answered, yes, I know. Keep silent. <laughs> so another repeat of an earlier test. But wait a minute. Elisha passed the test the first time. Have you ever been in a place at a school or training where they say, okay, you passed the test. I'm going to give it to you again next week. Usually that doesn't happen, right? Well, here it does. He already passed this test, so why take it again? You're not going to like the answer because the Lord said so. <laughs> He's God. It's like that parent that says, why, the kid says, why do I have to do that? Because I said so, and I'm the parent, right? And because he needed it, you know, because it lets us see his firm resolve he had to do the Lord's will. So if you're going through a time of testing, don't think that it's just about you. I mean, there were a lot of prophets, sons of prophets here who showed up to witness this. This was for them too to see, right? So there may be people watching that need to learn from your example. They need to see your resolve to follow the Lord through difficult times and that can help prepare them to serve the Lord better. So hang in there. If you're in that, that tough time of testing and you thought, I already passed this test, why have it again? Lord's saying, because you need it again. There are people watching. They need to see you hang in there, even though you've, you've already passed this one. Verse 6 goes on. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. He goes on in verse 7, And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. So they're not right up on top of them. They're at a distance, but you can see them. They're watching, okay? And it says they were watching there while the two of them stood by the Jordan. And you notice the Lord mentions twice here, the two of them. And I think the Lord here is, is showing us something. These two guys have been bonded together to do the Lord's will. And the encouragement is, the Lord wants us to work as a team. He wants us to work together with like-minded people who want to serve the Lord as sincerely as you do. All right, and that's what we see going on. Now, think about from Elijah's perspective here. How do you think he felt as he sees Elisha just keeps coming? And he's going to stay by Elijah's side no matter how tough it gets. Isn't that amazing? That had to encourage Elijah, you know? And I think if we could have interviewed him right then and said, well, what do you think of this guy? I mean, you've known him for a long time. You've seen the Lord working in his life. You've seen the Lord bring him along. Are you surprised that he just keeps coming and saying, yeah, 
if we've got to go further, we're going to go further. If we've got to cross the Jordan, we're going to cross the Jordan, whatever we've got to do. I think if we'd have interviewed him, and I'm just guessing at this, <coughs> excuse me, I think Elijah is going to say something like this. You know, my, my servant, God's servant here, Elisha, he's going to do just fine after I'm gone. He is glued to the Lord's will as strongly as, as he's glued to me right now. So he's going to do just fine. <laughs> now, we don't have his words saying that, but I, I'm just imagining if that were me and I were in his sandals, I think that's what I'd be saying. I'm thinking, man, this is awesome. This guy's doing a job, and he's not going to quit. So I know after I'm gone, pff, job's going to be done, no question, right? And, and these things, too, <coughs> excuse me, are getting more difficult here because they're at the Jordan River now, and somehow they're going to have to cross it. I mean, we see the end of the story. We know what's going to happen. But the Lord said, I want you to go to the Jordan. So I was like, okay, we're here. We're staring at this river. <laughs> what are we going to do now? So do you mean that we're going to face some difficult, if not impossible, situations in doing ministry? Oh, yeah. <laughs> A lot of them. And we have to learn to trust the Lord to get us through those times. You know, I keep thinking about the, the leaky generator he had during the parade ministry that time where it was leaking oil like crazy and it was a brand new generator they just got before the parade started, you know, and that looked like a really impossible situation. We just thought, okay, if the generator don't work, we're going to have a pretty quiet praise band going down the street, but if Lord, if that's what you want, praise the Lord, we're just good with that. And lo and behold, that generator worked the entire parade, leaking oil like crazy, just spitting it out and how that happened, I have no idea. But you know what? We prayed before we left and said, Lord, your will be done. If you want us to sing loud, we'll sing loud. If you want us to, to work, great. If not, that's great too. It's your thing. We're just happy to be along for the ride. So there are times in ministry as we serve people, it's going to look like, what's going wrong? This isn't going to work. We've got to learn to trust the Lord no matter what though, Right? So these 50 students we see here, they're watching from a distance. They were curious. They wanted to see Elijah being taken up because they knew, right? They keep telling him everywhere it goes, you know your master's going to be zapped out of here, right? You know that's happening today, right? You wanna, so they're like, we're gonna, we, we want to see that too. But they stayed at a different distance, I think, because they didn't want to interrupt what these two prophets were doing. Really wise here. I mean, they knew what the Lord told them. There's going to be an amazing change today. Elijah's out of here. But they didn't, you know, want to get in their face and, and see it that close. They probably wanted to, but they thought, well, we'll keep a healthy distance here. Yeah, so that was good wisdom in their part, too. Um, let's look at verse, uh, look, verse, verse 8 here. It says, now Elisha took his mantle. He rolled it up. So they're standing at the Jordan. He struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now, the mantle was a, a sleeveless coat that Elijah wore. It was kind of a symbol of God's anointing on him for ministry. I was uh, thinking, I, I looked at Angie today, good thing she wore. That's kind of the picture of the mantle, if you see what she's wearing when she, I guess she'll still have it on when she comes back. She's got that long kind of a thing, sleeveless on. I think that was the picture there. And it was just kind of uh, something he had on him that showed physically that he had God's anointing uh, on him spiritually. And, you know, by the way, we need the Spirit's anointing on us in order to do any ministry at all. Uh, remember, Jesus told the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem. and Don't start that ministry until the power of the Spirit comes upon you. 
And Jesus even modeled that himself. You know, before he started his earthly ministry, yeah, he went through the baptism of John and they said the Spirit came upon him and then he started ministry after that. So the Lord is very serious. If we're going to serve him, we've got to stay in tune with him. We've got to stay under the Spirit's control and guidance and, and we will see ministry happen. That, that's a guarantee, but it's got to be the Lord working through us. We're, we're foolish if we think we're going to try to do this in our own strength, our own power, our own wisdom. Don't even go there, okay? Now this is a miracle of crossing on dry ground, they're gonna see all take place here, it's gonna remind them of a few times in Israel's history where the Lord did that for the nation, right? Remember the Red Sea crossing? Also the Jordan River crossing when they entered the Promised Land? Uh, and the main point here is that the Lord is still able to do supernatural things. He's still able to work the same powerful way he always has. And whether Elijah's here or not, he's still going to continue to work. It's not Elijah, it's the Lord. Elijah's just the instrument that the Lord was using. And whenever the Lord works through us, don't ever forget that it's not about you. It's the Lord that is doing the work. And he alone deserves to get the credit and the glory. So we need to be careful to give that to him, okay? And another good lesson from this is that the Lord is still powerful enough to do miraculous things. It's not dependent on Israel uh, being at their best behavior for things to happen because they weren't at this point in time. God's work is based solely on God's power and his discretion is when he desires to accomplish it. You know, if we understand this, then it should put a healthy fear of the Lord in us and it should help us to have a great respect for the Lord because it's all about him. It's all about his ability. It's not about us. We're just the, the instruments, right? So verse 9 goes on, and so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now, what a question is being asked by Elijah. I think that question is kind of a test too. Because it'd be tempting to ask for some very selfish desire here, you know? But Elisha is going to ask for something that would greatly help him in ministering to others, to people. This is an amazing, selfless thing that he's asking for. You know, it's kind of like him saying, uh, please give me something that I can work harder with and, and work longer with. <laughs> can you imagine your boss calling you in and he says, you know, you've been doing such a great job what can I do for you in return? And you answer them and you say, can you give me a lot more tools to use and having a lot more harder hours and longer hours? Can you do that? Because that's kind of what we're hearing here from Elisha. Wow, does that sound like something that we might ask for, you know? <laughs> Not in our American tradition of comfort and ease, right? <laughs> we want the easy way out. <clears throat> well, this is kind of what Elisha's saying here. He wants more anointing so he can do more work. So, wow, again, he's passing the test with flying colors. Amazing. Now, think about what Elisha is really saying here by his request. He is saying that he wants to be able to affect the kingdom of God in a very powerful way. That's asking big. Can you imagine us saying to the Lord, please allow me to do more ministry, to put more hours in ministry and more effort in ministry than anyone has done before me. Wow. 
He is not asking for the easy way out. And his actions show that. He said, I'm here. You move, I'm moving. You go there, I'm going there. You cross a river, I'm crossing the river. Doesn't matter, I'm going to go. And when he used that double, terminolo- double portion terminology here, Elisha here is using that in reference to the blessing that the eldest son would receive in the family inheritance. If you remember, we studied that. You know, the double blessing, the double portion was intended to be used to take care of the family. And that was given to the eldest son. He's now going to be the head of the family once the patriarch, the father's passed away. So this double blessing wasn't to be used selfishly by the eldest son. He was supposed to use that to provide for the family. So in the same way, Elisha here is not asking for this to make his life easier, but that his life might be used more effectively for the kingdom of God. It's amazing when you chew on that. And that's the way we need to look at our gifting from the Lord too. The more that we've been gifted, the more is expected for us to serve the Lord. You know, unfortunately, I know there are some Christians, I've met some folks who use their gifts to further themselves in the world rather than using their gifts for the service of the Lord. And that's sad to see. You know, we're reminded that we will never turn up short when we serve the Lord. He's always going to take good care of us down the road. So we never lose out when it comes to serving the Lord. Uh, Look for a second at Mark chapter 10 in the New Testament here. This is a story I know you're familiar with. I just want to remind us of something here in Mark chapter 10. And it's in other Gospels as well, but I like the way Mark 10 brings this out. <clears throat> this is the rich young ruler who had came to Jesus and trying to justify himself that he kept all these laws and everything. You know, he says in verse 20, this is in Mark 10, verse 20. He answers, he's talking to Jesus. He said, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. So the Lord's not putting him down. He's not judging him. He's not pointing a finger, you know, anything. He's loving him. And he said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you'll be broke forever. It's not what it says, is it? It says, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then he says, come, take up the cross and follow me. And if you think about what Jesus said, he's saying, you give up all the treasures here, you're not losing anything from that. All of that's transferred into heaven. When you get there, you will have treasure there. The Lord didn't say, I'm going to take all your stuff away. He said, you give your stuff to me and I'll have it over there. And knowing the Lord, I could be wrong on this, but I know the Lord loves to multiply what we give to him, right? (laughs) He may be totally shocked had he followed through with this and say, well, Lord, I, I didn't give you that much. And Lord says, yeah, it's all yours. You know, we never lose out in serving the Lord. That's a lie from the enemy when he puts that thought in our head. Oh, don't do this. Look what it's going to cost you. You know, he's telling people, you don't need Jesus. You're okay where you're at. You know, don't listen to any of those lies that the devil throws out there. So just as Elisha here, you know, he was serving the Lord. Elisha is saying, I want to continue the work that the Lord has called you to do. I want to keep doing that job. Now, back in our passage in 2 Kings, look at verse 10. <clears throat> says, so he says here, this is Elijah answering that request of, I want a double portion. He says, you have asked 
a hard thing. <laughs> he said, nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So he said, this is a hard thing that you're asking. And I think there are two sides of that when it comes to doing ministry. For one, ministry itself is not easy. You know, it's a hard thing to do. And you're asking for more ministry? Whoa, that's not going to be easy, right? But also, I think he's saying Elisha's asking for a hard thing because only God can give this to you. I can't, I can't give that to you. Elijah didn't have that kind of authority, you know. But somehow, Elijah must have heard from the Lord in this, this passing conversation here. And he was able to say, you know, if Elisha, if you stay with me until the very moment where I'm taken up, then this request is going to be answered by God. So there was still one test. Wow. <laughs> this ministry that Elisha was being prepared for must have been exceedingly difficult for all the hoops he had to jump through. After everything he's done so far, the Lord says, one more thing, you've got to be there when this happens. If you, you fall off at the last minute, you're not going to get that double portion you're hoping for. Your ministry, I'm sure you're going to serve the Lord, but it's not going to be to the intensity that I can if you, you survive this, right? So again, don't get discouraged if it seems like your testing just keeps going on and on and on. The Lord's giving you all the preparation that's needed. It's not being wasted, and it's not in excess. God's measurements are very precise. You know, nothing more and nothing less than is needed, so we can trust him in that. Verse 11 goes on, then it happened as they continued on and they talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elisha went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Now notice here, it was the whirlwind that took him up. It was not the chariot of fire, the horses of fire. Those were simply there to separate the two. I'm thinking Elisha must have been standing really close. <laughs> you know, the Lord's like, I gotta separate these two somehow and I'm gonna have to use this fiery picture here to do it. So they were sent. I know sometimes I see even with the children's Sunday school stuff and that, not here, I haven't seen it, but some places I've seen it, you know, where they got him going up in this chariot of fire, and that's not what it says. It was the whirlwind, just like God predicted, right? The, the chariot was used, it had a purpose. It was to separate them in a very powerful way. Also, you know, Elijah wasn't the first person to be taken to heaven without facing death. Enoch was the first one we've got recorded in the Bible, and somewhere in the future, we're going to have the rapture, where a great number of Christians are going to be taken up and not face death. And again, God can do what God wants to do. Is it the norm? No. <laughs> but if it's God's way, it's God's way, and he's got a reason for that. Verse 12, Elisha saw it. He was there, man. He did it. He passed that test, too. He saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen, so he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces and that was a sign of mourning over the loss of a loved one here. And Elisha declared that Israel has just lost a great leader and a defender of the nation. He said, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And he also mentions his personal loss. He felt like the loss of a father, <clears throat> a father figure for him. Verse 13, he also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And you notice here, uh, he picked up this mantle that had fallen, and that was a picture of that anointing that was being passed on. That was his choice too. 
He could have let it lay there and said, ah, I've been wanting this, but I've seen what it costs, and I don't think so. I've had second thoughts. But no, he takes up the mantle, and he puts it on. It says he went back, and he stood by the bank of the Jordan. <coughs> Excuse me. And then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, and he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. So the promise had been given, but I think at this point, Elisha didn't feel any different. I mean, he saw it happen. He saw the mantle fall. He picked it up, and he's holy, and it's like, I thought it was going to be more tingly or something than this, maybe, you know. So he calls out. He says, where is the God of Elijah? And this was the test to prove to him, I think, that this was real. And there's going to be other people that see this too. And this is amazing when you stop and think about it. This says, you passed all the tests. Well done, good and faithful servant. Wow, this is an awesome moment in his life. All he's doing is beating water. <laughs> and seeing water separate. So don't, don't wait for the feeling. Don't wait, just obey the Lord. You know, do what he's called you to do. Don't say, Lord, unless I feel the tingle, I guess you're not here. No, God said I'm here. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm here. So don't, don't wait for that stuff. Verse 15. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, notice they saw this happen, they said the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and they bowed to the ground before him. So the Lord had provided witnesses here. And these guys bowed out of respect. They knew better than to worship him. They know... They're walking with the Lord, these guys. So they merely were showing respect for the ministry that's now been passed on to him. Pretty interesting the way the Lord did this. Then they said to him, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. So these guys are saying, hey, uh, maybe the Lord just you know, doing something here, going to move him somewhere else. Let us go find him. But you think about this. These servants had heard from the Lord. They had the word of the Lord on this. God's taken him away today. They knew that. They should not have done this, okay? Verse 17, but when they urged him till he was ashamed, he's probably thinking, I thought you guys had all this faith. What are you doing? You know, it's like, okay, that's what you do. He says, uh, send them. Therefore, they sent 50 men, and they searched for three days. But lo and behold, they didn't find him. <laughs> yeah. And when they came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he didn't go. He said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? You know, so these guys had already heard from the Lord. They should have done it. He finally gives in. He could have rebuked them more than this, but I think he went pretty easy on them. You know? Yeah. Verse 19, then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice the situation of this city is pleasant. It's a beautiful place here, as my Lord sees. But the water is bad, and the ground is barren. So the water was not good, and they couldn't grow things because the water was bad. So although it's a beautiful place as far as any crops and stuff, no, not even good drinking water. And verse 20, and he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water, and he cast in the salt there, where it all was coming up, the springs or whatever, where it was coming from. And thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall no more, be, no more death, 
our barrenness. So interesting, how do you purify water? Well, obviously you take salt and throw it in there. I don't think that's how you purify water, right? But this is what God said to do, and this is what he did. And we don't have answers on things. It's like, my question is, why do you say bring me a new bowl? <laughs> I don't know what difference did it make. Bring me an old sack with salt in it, you know, I don't know. But they did exactly as he said. He did exactly what he was supposed to do, and God did what he was going to do, you know? So, so the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. And from people who've been over there, they said that it's still pure, great drinking water right there, same spot. It, the Lord healed this water, did an amazing miracle that continues to this very day. Now, these miracles are supposed to show Israel daily. Every time they got a drink, they were supposed to remember, God can help us. These false gods haven't done anything for us. That's why the miracles were there, to encourage them to trust God daily. And it's a big lesson. Obedience brings blessing. You did what I said, and lo and behold, you got a great blessing. Verse 23, then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And these, it says youths here, but these guys were probably in their early 20s, late teens. They were not little kids like some, some people read here. So he turned around and he looked at them and he pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Sounds like there was probably more, but there was 42 of them that got mauled. They didn't say killed. The mauled means they were cut up pretty good and were attacked and had marks of being attacked. Doesn't say they were killed. But notice he did this as a curse in the name of the Lord. And we get two big lessons here. The first lesson is obedience brings blessing. Guess what? You come against God, you curse God, and here's what you got to look forward to. You got a curse coming. Real quick lessons here, right from this prophet from the very start, and that was intentional. Lord wanted him to know you got choices here. You want blessing, you want cursing. You decide on that one. Then he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. And remember, Mount Carmel is where. Elijah did his thing and had a, a little toasted meeting with some of the guys there, the soldiers that came and got burned up. So I'm wondering if he went by and looked at the burnt spots. And says, that guy didn't follow the Lord. These guys follow the Lord and they survived, you know. I don't know. But then he went to Samaria, which was the headquarters of the northern kingdom, and that's where he's going to do his ministry. A tough spot to be in. <clears throat> but this is a riotous bunch of guys that were coming, and it was probably escalating. And look at the picture here. These guys were influenced by their false worship of the false gods that they had. And what do they do? They disrespect God. They disrespect his prophets. So bad influences like that do have an effect on people. And when they told Elijah to go up, one of the things they said to him there, they were saying, go up, you bald head. They were talking about what Elijah did. It's like, you just need to go follow your buddy there, and you need to go up and get out of here. We don't want you here. We don't need you here. Basically, that's a message to the Lord. Get out of here. We don't need you. So when you see what he did here, it wasn't a mean thing at all. He was showing him a principle. You're bringing a curse on yourself. That was your choice. You did that. I want to close just reading something from Deuteronomy 7, just a couple verses here, and we'll close with that, because this is the principle the Lord's going by as he's teaching them continuously here through the, in the promised land. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9 says this, Therefore, no that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, 
who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Obedience, blessing. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. Disobedience brings curse. He will not be slack with him who hates him and he will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. And this is the Lord crafting the whip. It's the Lord saying, I want to bless you. <laughs> I don't want you to run into a curse. I want you to run into a blessing. So that's, that's what our Lord is like, and that's what he's continuing trying to teach those folks. And boy, the, the word to us is clear as well. You know, we want to follow the Lord. That's the best place to be in this life. You'll find amazing blessings. They won't make that evening newspaper or the six o'clock news on TV, but in the Lord's book, another blessing, another blessing. That's awesome, awesome, guys. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the greatest blessing you gave us in sending your son, Jesus. And Lord, I trust that everyone that's here has received Christ as Lord and Savior, but Lord, anyone who's here, anyone who's watching on live stream and they've not made that decision, Please today, Lord, bring that conviction on them very heavy. Let them see their need for Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord. He already paid the price for them. He's done the hard work. Lord, please help them just to open their heart and say, I want you, Jesus. I want my sins completely washed away by your blood. I want to walk with you. I want to live with you. I want to see the blessings you have to work out in my life. And Lord, we just want to give back to you all the praise, honor, and glory for what you're doing in Jesus' precious name, amen.